The 2-1 home to Sierra. Line drive into left field. That's going to drop for a base hit. Nick Dunn rounds third. He's going to come in to score. Nick Sierra joined the RBI party. 8-0 Maryland. Swung on and cracked to deep right field. Chasing it back is Taylor at the wall. It's out of here. Madison Nickens with the third home run of the inning for the Terps. Ingle kicks and deals and Dunn lines a base hit down the left field line. Nickens comes around third. He will score. Dunn into second with an RBI double and we're tied at three. 3-1. Swung on and cracked to deep center field. Going back is Powell. He's at the wall. Leaping is out of here. A grand slam for Nick Sieri and the Terps take an 8-7 lead. Bonine kicks and delivers. That one's hit to deep left field. Going back is Vargas. It's a no-doubter. Over the scoreboard and out of here. Marty Costas goes yard. His second home run of the game. And the Terps lead it 7-2. First pitch to Tyler and he swings away and hits it to right field straight away. Nickens is there. He makes the catch. Tagging is Dogan. He's going to try to score the throw to the plate. The tag. And he is out at the plate. Madison Nickens guns him down. And the Terps get out of the inning. Hello and welcome to the 17th episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Jay Geisenberg and Matt Present, your hosts, as always. And I guess a good thing, place to get things started is last weekend, a 2-1 to series win over Purdue. I, I wasn't there, but Matt, you were on the call for all three games. So right off the bat, your first impressions. Well, my first impression, Jake, is that Maryland was kind of in a, in a lose-lose situation because they were facing a team with a very low RPI, Dead last in the Big Ten standings. Purdue had only won a single Big Ten game coming into play. And because Maryland played the game at home, it it hurt their RPI even more by not winning all three games. So they were in a position going in where they really had to sweep the series. And I think all you can really ask of a team is to go out there and win the series. I think it's kind of unreasonable you know, going into play, no matter how bad the opponent, to win three straight games, for that to be your expectation... But that's kind of how it had to be, RPI-wise at least. So it was a bit disappointing to have that loss on Friday, 7-1. Of course, Maryland bounced back and won 6-0 on Saturday and 11-3 in commanding fashion on Sunday. But it was just one of those scheduling scenarios where it wasn't in Maryland's best interest to play this series. Well, I think one of the most important parts about this series, at least from an outsider's point of view, is Friday, you know, about 90 minutes before the game, we find out that Taylor Bloom, who has, you know, kind of grown into that Friday starter role with Mike going, Mike Schwarren going back to Sunday, was not going to pitch. He rolled his ankle during Thursday uh, pitcher fielding practice. Now we know that he's having some hamstring issues. So he wasn't going to play. Brian Schaefer thrust into the Friday role and turned in probably his worst start of the season. So how much of an effect do you think that switch had on him? I don't know. It's hard to measure. Um, obviously, in Major League Baseball, you know, you have guys on a five-day rotation in college baseball. It's once a week. You know, is that one day fewer a big difference physically? I would think not. Maybe mentally, the, the surprise element of coming in cold uh, on a day that you're not expecting to pitch. Right, a that's, a more, little more that's more so. what I was getting at. Um, but to be honest, I thought he got a little bit of a quick hook. He didn't have his best stuff, that's for sure. And he did have a bit of an elevated pitch count, 59 through 3 and a third. But at the same time, I I thought that 
taking him out so early may have been a little premature um, for a guy who, yeah, he gave up seven hits, but aside from the home run to straightaway center by Kyle Johnson, not all of them were hit super hard. I, I just think, you know, Purdue kind of strung together a few hits, and and Bellinger felt like it wasn't his day. Well, it, I mean, I looking at the stat line, it doesn't seem like it was his day. Five runs, four of them earned. Two walks, one of them intentional, of course. Three strikeouts and obviously just the three and a third innings from Schaefer, who, you know, we've had we had that feature up on our website, the fantastic job by Ben Harris, really outlining how he's, how far he's come since last year. Now he's kind of grown into more of an, of an ace. So I don't think this was a step back, but I think, you know, it's a bump in the road. I think every, you're, you're not going to be lights out every single start. That It's just not possible. So a bump in the road, one you might not have expected against a Boilermaker team that, you know, was tied for the league worst in batting average with Maryland, as it may be, but and also at only one one Big Ten game. But I really do think that there's, you know, some sort of there's there's a psychological impact there when you're ready to start on Saturday and you're prepared to, you know, chart Taylor Bloom's start, get a good look at these Purdue hitters, and then, you know, ninety minutes before first pitch you find out, oh, you're going on the hill. I think that I think that factors in more than maybe we think. No, I do. I do. I agree with you there. And, you know, we don't know at what point he was aware. Whether, because we got the word 90 minutes before right, first right. pitch. It could have been earlier. He may have known it been earlier. earlier. Uh, but that said, he didn't have his best stuff. You know, everyone has a day like that where they don't have their best stuff. And unfortunately, he was going to need great stuff because Maryland just simply didn't hit the ball, the ball very well on Friday afternoon. And, you know, Rob Vaughn is always so candid with his responses. And he said when I talked to him on Saturday, Saturday, we just had a horrible approach. But at the same time, really give some credit to to Gavin Downs because it's the second year in a row, Jake, that he has dominated the Maryland lineup. He got a bad luck loss a year ago on Sunday in Purdue. He allowed one run through eight innings. And then in the ninth, gave up three. When no balls left the infield, Maryland came back to win that game 4-3. to three, But two years in a row for eight innings, he has dominated this Maryland lineup. And I think what it is is this team loves to hit the fastball. And he doesn't throw very hard, and he mixes his pitches well. And Maryland very off balance against Gavin Downs. Well, we know Rob Vaughn's kind of book when it comes to hitting is to, you know, look for that fastball and sit on that fastball and attack that fastball. And I guess when you're not seeing that fastball early in the counter, first pitch, it kind of makes you wonder when you're going to see it, if you're going to see it, when where it's going to be. And it throws you off. So, yes, Friday... Uh, certainly an off day for the offense, but, you know, like pitchers have off days, the offense is going to struggle at times, too. You know, that's why this guy is pitching on Fridays this season. And maybe for, you know, a Purdue team that hasn't been very successful throughout 2016, but that doesn't mean that their Friday starter is any worse than, you know, any other Friday starter around the league. No, I was definitely impressed with Downs. His his performance was much much better than his ERA coming in would indicate. But let's fast forward to Saturday. And something I mentioned on the broadcast this weekend was was just, you know, the contrast between this series last year, which occurred at pretty much the same time, with this series this year. And Mike Shorn, who went on Saturday, of course Friday a year ago, picked up his 10th win last year against Purdue. 10-0 start. And on Saturday, he was just brilliant. 10 strikeouts. He retired 15 of his last 16 batters for just his third win this season. Has not pitched... Well, we've documented his struggles, but I think this win 
really got him back on track and was really vintage Mike Schwarm getting ahead of the count with the fastball and then putting away hitters with that slider. Well, I mean, I was I was able to listen down in down in Orlando and you know, as the game was moving along, I could kind of feel almost that Schwarm was you know, throwing shades of his of his 2015 self. And I know that most most of his struggles, I think one thing to point out is that he allowed 3 hits. Most of his struggles this season have come with men on base. It's come when he's pitched from the stretch. So he did a good job of basically not having to do that in this game. And, you know, you toss 10 strikeouts and you walk just one. You do it in 107 pitches. That's a fine start. You know, not to mention the fact that you don't allow any runs. That gives your team a chance to win every single time you go on the mound. And it's like, it's like you know, Chef has been saying. If this Terrapins team is going to progress in the postseason in the Big Ten tournament and, you know, making the NCAA tournament, they're going to need their best player in Mike Shawarn to be Mike Shawarn. And, you know, he said it himself that he hasn't been Mike Shawarn so far this season. But, you know, maybe this is a sign that he's kind of getting back to it. And, you know, who knows this weekend, uh, the rotation's still a little bit up in the air depending on the status of Taylor Bloom. So perhaps Shawarn could return to that Friday night start. Perhaps he'll be Saturday, perhaps Sunday. Again, it's up in the air, but you know, either way, I think this was a this was a resurgence. It was, and we don't know when he'll pitch, but we know that he will pitch, and when he does, expect him to become the all-time strikeout leader in Maryland Terrapin history. He's currently three behind Steve Schmoll, uh, 272 all-time, Schworn at 269. So a bit of history likely to come this weekend at Penn State. Here's a question. Rest of the season, you think Shawarn gets to 300? Certainly possible. I I mean, certainly possible. I think yes. I think he's yes. got he's got what? We have Penn State, then a series against Illinois. After that is Rutgers, Michigan State. So you have four starts right there. And you got to figure we can we can. I think it's safe. They're seventh in the Big Ten right now. Top eight teams make the Big Ten tournament. I think for the purposes of this argument. We have to go with the assumption that the Terps will make the Big Ten tournament, so that's a fifth start right there, potentially a sixth if they end up going to the finals, depending well, depending on how that works out. We'll stick dates. with five. We'll stick with five. Five starts. But that's that's six strikeouts a start. Right. And we've seen him go double digit strikeouts, especially in his twenty fifteen self. It, it'll be close, but I certainly think it, there's a very good chance. I'd be in, I'd be inclined to, to bet on that to happen. I would too. I, I would take the over. There you go. So we'll we'll keep an eye out for that. But let's move on to Sunday. Sure. Real quick, one more note on Saturday. Okay. The Terps getting it done up and down the order. Every single spot in the lineup got on base. And the Terps had base runners in every single inning. And I just think that's so important because hitting is contagious. And because when you're constantly putting pressure, it's only a matter of time before the big inning. We saw two big innings on Sunday. But the ability to constantly have base runners and put that pressure on the opponent, I think, is so key for the long-term success of this team. Well, before we move on to Sunday, you brought up something that I wanted to talk about a little bit also. One thing I noticed was, you know, the lineup changing. And it not necessarily, you know, one through nine, but positionally. You have Madison Nickens as the designated hitter over the past couple of games. Then you have Smith Dunn, Sierra, who's been catching, which, you know, adds a little bit more offense to the lineup when you can throw a guy like Jan Karski down at the bottom. We'll talk, right. to, we'll talk to Zach later. Essentially the change was Jan Karski in, Justin Morris out. Which, 
if you look at last year or you think about last year, you'd say, well, what does that really do for your offense? But this season, after Morris got off to his hot start, he's cooled off a little bit. Jankarski has really has really come on this year. And it's not really the numbers game for Jankarski. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk to him about this. It's just the energy and the fire he brings to this team. Not the to mention the speed. The speed. I mean, there was a sacrifice fly he scored on this weekend where I think most runners would not have even thought of going. It's just it's just the little things. And now Maryland 8-2 and two when Zach Jankarski is in the starting lineup. Well, we'll talk to Zach in just a little bit. We're also going to hear from Andrew Bechtold in this edition of the Maryland Baseball Podcast. So 1-9 through nine in the hitters. Getting getting the job done Saturday. Sunday, the offensive explosion. Two five-run innings. Anthony Papio, his bat's starting to heat up as well. Yeah, and I mean, you knew it was only a matter of time. He wasn't going to hit 200 the whole season. He raised his batting average about 30 points this series alone. And, I mean, yeah, he hit two bombs, but it's really the fact that he's making solid contact and driving the ball, hitting it hard, and, and just squaring it up. I mean, he needs this. The team needs him as the vocal veteran to be leading the way with his performance as well. Well, on one side you have the veteran leading with performance, and on the other side you have a freshman in Hunter Parsons who we've seen come out of the bullpen and in all honesty has not been great out of the bullpen. But starting games, he's 3-0, or the team at least is 3-0 in his starts, and he's been phenomenal as a starter, especially as a freshman, to go in there and give up two runs in six innings on scattering seven hits. That's not an easy thing to do. You know, also big not walking anybody, striking out five, to step into that spot start role after Taylor Bloom, you know, wasn't going to be able to pitch on Sunday. I think that's, A, huge for his confidence to not only get his first conference win in his first conference start, in his first weekend start, but also it'll be huge for Maryland down the stretch should they approach the Big Ten tournament, there's no doubt that they'll have a fourth solid starter. Yeah, and and I think the Terps made the right move going with Hunter Parsons over Taylor Styles. Styles is a veteran, but I think Parsons is a higher upside right now, can pitch deeper into ball games, a little bit more velocity, a little bit more on the breaking ball as well. And he was very impressive. And like you said, scattered those hits, didn't walk a batter. I think that's so key especially for a freshman getting a spot start to be able to throw strikes, to be able to get ahead of hitters. And he gave up several doubles. I think half the hits he gave up were doubles. And to be able to limit the damage to strand runners in scoring position, just really, really impressive performance by Hunter Parsons. Well, one thing when it comes to the Parsons and Taylor Styles conversations that Styles had pitched in relief you know, during the series earlier. Plus the fact that he's kind of been the go-to guy in the midweek games. And he hasn't started in a couple of weeks, but the game against Richmond being rained out. But, you know, he'll have the start, you know, against James Madison. And I I, I think Parsons, if, if I think Sty- I think Styles is more versatile as a pitcher. For sure. He's a lot more, that, that veteran presence, he's a lot more comfortable coming out of the bullpen like he did for much of the beginning of last year. He's comfortable starting as well. He's comfortable coming in in a late inning situation. And because he has that veteran presence, you can afford to say, okay, Parsons has been pitching really well when he starts, not as great when he comes on in the middle of a game. So let's, you know, let's give Hunter Parsons, who's going to more than likely be a member of our rotation next year, let's give him a chance against a Purdue team. And, you know, honestly, what 
is kind of a crucial game for Maryland. You know, they have to take this series, and you say have to. If they don't take this series, I think you're looking at, you know, crunch time. You're looking at, you know, panic button. But Well, because if they don't take this series, they're on the outside looking in just for the Big Ten tournament. Exactly. And, I mean, if, if we're talking postseason here, you don't make the Big Ten tournament if you're Maryland. There's no way you're going to the NCAA tournament. I mean, I would still say at this point that if Maryland wants to really secure their spot in the NCAA tournament, they need to win the Big Ten tournament. Right now, you know, the latest projections from D1Baseball.com, Baseball America, have the Terps securely on the bubble, whether they're the first four in or the first four out. But either way, they're teetering on the edge. So every game counts going down the stretch. I think it's just about winning series right now. You might be right. They might need that Big Ten title. But right now, it's just about winning series. And right now, the best team they play the rest of the way in the regular season is Michigan State on the road to wrap up the regular season. That could be a huge series. Well, we will be there in Michigan State, flying out there just before the Big Ten tournament. So we'll have the coverage there when we come back on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. We'll talk to sophomore outfielder Zach Jankarski as he joins the show, so stick with us. Wondering when our next broadcast is? Check out our broadcast schedule, available at MarylandBaseballNetwork.com, complete with links to each game's broadcast, including which broadcast will be televised on BTN+. Welcome back to the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Jake Eisenberg and Matt Present. Your hosts, and now we're joined by Terps outfielder Zach Jankarski. Zach, thanks for coming aboard. Yeah, absolutely, Jake. No problem. A good series win for you guys this weekend, taking two from the Boilermakers, and you getting in the mix as well out in center field. And I, I think it's it's safe to say that you're starting to become more of a constant in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think so. Um, obviously, with a lot of talented guys that we have, um, you know, not everyone can play, and you know that's that's a tough thing to grasp sometimes. But you know, um, I'm looking forward to working hard every day, like I've been doing all year, and you know, kind of hoping to to get to see my name in that lineup more and more often. Well, I don't know if you know this, but the team is eight and two when you start. What is it that you feel you bring to this lineup that really is just creates that winning mentality? I guess that's kind of funny you say that because. Um, I was actually having that conversation with my dad earlier. He's he's kind of uh he like notices stuff like that and he brought it to my attention and then just recently, uh, after the first loss, um, Coach Vaughn brought that up too. Um, you know, personally I just think um I bring a lot of energy and my competitive competitiveness comes out, um, you know, in on both sides of the ball, whether it be on offense or defense or on the base pass, you know, I I just try and do anything I can to help the team win. And it's not just me, trust me. I mean, there's plenty of guys on the on the uh, on our team that do the same thing. But you know, I think that um, I mean, it's a good stat to have for sure. Um, it's something that I like, and I'm glad the coaches saw that, and hopefully we can keep it going. Well, the coaches definitely noticed things like that. I was talking to Jimmy Ballinger uh, a week and a half or so ago, and he was telling me that. Every time that I interviewed him before a game, the Terps lost. So let's just say that I ha- I haven't been speaking to him pregame as much lately. <laughs> but in, in any case, I think what what Matt and I you know were kind of talking about and you know what we're we're talking about a lot on the air with you 
is your speed. And it's not just your speed, but I think a better way to describe it is your energy that you bring to the team. I admit, whether it be, you know, with your speed or or vocally, it seems like in the dugout, you, Biondic, Racino are kind of somewhat of the vocal leaders of this team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as uh, as time went on when I got here, I got more and more comfortable. And to the point now, I mean, we lost so many guys last year um, that, like, as a sophomore now, I, I almost feel like an older guy on the team, which is kind of weird. But, you know, um, as far as that, you know, I am blessed with pretty good speed, and um, to combine that with, you know, energy and speed kind of never slumps, and that's just something that it's strict. It's it's mainly just how hard you really want to work. It's it's about hitting the ground ball or shortstop, not feeling bad for yourself, and running hard down the line, making sure they make the play. And if they don't, you're going to be on first base. It's it's crashing into the wall full blast. You know, not worried about your body um, for for your teammates to get the out. You know, it's. There's a lot of things that go into it, but you know, it's just I would much rather be the way I am, playing like this with as, as much energy as I bring, just strictly because I mean that's just something that I t- I've taken pride in since I was you know like nine and ten years old. You know, I I, I never wanted. I mean, it's tough for it now because we have all turf, but you know, my dad always used to tell me, and I've always like um, played this way. You know, I never wanted to end the game with my jersey clean because that means you know I really I didn't give it my all, and you know. Um, I still play that way today, and I think I'll play that way till the day I stop playing, whatever that would be. So. You talk about the energy on the field, but after the game yesterday, you kind of mentioned that you're the guy that likes to keep things loose and keep things light and everyone entertained off the field. Kind of, What's your go-to in that regard and, and keeping your teammates smiling? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I would say I'm a much different guy on the field than I am off the field for sure. Um you know, like you said, um, off the field, you know, I, I like to have fun. I like to make people laugh. I like to laugh. I actually, if you ask anybody, no one thinks my jokes are funnier than I do. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I laugh at all my jokes, and it kind of makes other people laugh, too. And, you know, like I was kind of saying the other day, I just feel like, you know, there's so much pressure nowadays um, that guys put on themselves. I mean, there's a lot going on, and whether being in a lineup, whether not performing the way you want to, whether, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. So, I mean, as far as, as that goes, especially with the younger guys, it's, it's good to sometimes just kind of, like, have them take a deep breath, make them laugh, um, help them realize that this is a fun game that they've been playing their whole entire life and that, you know, it's something that they should have fun doing every single day. Otherwise, why do it? So, I mean, that's, that's something I, I look myself in the mirror every day and, and say because I, I truly believe I'm, I'm having the time of my life every single day so they get to wake up and do what I love. And, um, you know, whether that's being a completely different person on the field that just wants to win and is not going to take losing or, you know, making a funny joke in the locker room or just clowning with some of the guys just to kind of keep them loose and, um, you know, feeling good. Well, I know I speak for Matt when I say that when we're up in the booth, you know, we're always looking to have as much fun as possible. And I think at, at least I can certainly completely relate to thinking that my own jokes are hilarious, whether or not the people around me agree. But in any case, you know, I certainly can relate to that. But I, I want to ask you this year about 
the the offensive side of the ball because last year it was the kind of thing where you were mainly used as a pinch runner. You'd get a pinch hit situation, you know, late in games and maybe try and lay one down and beat it out. But this year, you know, the average is at 235, but I don't think that's a good indication of, you know, how far you've come as a hitter because it's clear to me that there have been, you know, some serious adjustments made at the plate, whether, you know, it was over the summer in the Ripken League or things that you've picked up on with Vaughn this year. So I guess... I guess what I'm asking is, how have you progressed as a hitter, you know, now in your second season? Well, you know, absolutely. You know, I've come, I definitely come a long way since last year. Um, like you said, last year I didn't have as many opportunities at all, like I, like I've had this year. And um, you know, it's just about being patient and, like I was saying earlier, coming to the field every day with a goal and what exactly what you want to work on. I mean, you can't. I mean, Rome wasn't built in one day, so I mean, I take it like um, if you're looking at one specific thing that you're trying to do that day, then come in that day and, and do it. And honestly, um, like we were talking about yesterday, that's something that Anthony Papio kind of taught me because I worked a lot with him as well. Um, in the fall, he's a guy that, you know, really kind of got my head on straight as far as, you know, hey, you could you could be a guy this year. And, you know, I, I believe that. And he helped me believe that. And, I, you know, it was just coming in every day, taking one step at a time and focusing on one thing. And, you know, I, I think I've gotten drastically better um, over over the course of a year, and um, I think there's definitely more in the tank as well. Um, as far as my success uh, this year, you know, um, in the time I've been playing, I think there's been good and bad, and I think there's a lot more room for improvement, but I, I also see that, you know, I'm a better baseball player than I was last year for sure, and hopefully I'm only moving forward and, and going up. Well, we can't we can't talk about your offense without talking about a couple weeks ago against VCU at the Diamond. You hit your first career home run. It was a line drive over the left field wall, and I'll be honest with you, Zach, sitting up in the booth, I had, I did not think it was going to leave the yard. And then you know I look up, it's over the fence, and I was I went a little nuts up there. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> um, be honest. Did you did you think that you would ever hit a home run in your Maryland career? I mean. You know, the type of player I am, that's not something that I focus on. Um, so I definitely wasn't going up to the plate that day looking to hit a home run. Um, but what I am, you know, what I've kind of what we were just talking about from me from last year to this year, you know, I, I definitely have the ability to hit the ball in the gap and, um, you know, have, like, gap power and hit some doubles and, and, you know, drive the ball instead of being more of a slap hitter in that regard. So... I definitely worked hard on that, and that game, you know, I got a good pitch. It was, I mean, the first pitch of the at-bat, I was just trying to take a good swing on the, uh, on the ball. Um, I think there was, there was either one, I think there was two outs, and, um, you know, I hit it, and it, and it felt really good. Um, to be honest, I didn't think it was going to be a homer, just because um, I didn't think I hit it high enough, and that park is really big, and I didn't think, you know, homer would happen that night, but... Um, you know, I, I hit it, and I was thinking double, triple out of the box for sure. And then, um, you know, the minute I realized it went out um, was because, uh, I, I mean, I had my head down running hard, and then the dugout, which was right to my right, kind of went nuts, and I knew that they probably wouldn't have done that if I hit a double. So um, that's when I looked up and I saw the umpire, and honestly, it was a, a really cool feeling. I mean, it was just kind of like, oof. I, I kind of wanted to take it in for a second. But, um, you know, that, that was a good moment for me for sure in my career. Not many guys don't see their first home run go over the fence. <laughs> that's gotta be that's gotta be the slowest you've ever been on the base paths. 
Yeah, I mean, um, I got to think. I'm not. I, let's put it this way: if I was looking at it, seeing if it was going over the wall, and it hit the wall, and I only had a double instead of a triple, I'd probably get a near pull. So I'm happy I, I ran hard out of the box. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I am happy it went out. That was a pretty cool. It was a pretty cool feeling for sure. Did Fair you enough. manage to get the baseball? Um. Yeah, Pat. Pat. Um, after the game, came up to me and uh, handed it to me. Um, but I mean, he said it was it. I'm not 100 percent sure. If he's, <laughs> but. At the same time, uh, that's gonna go to my dad, and um, he doesn't know whether it's real or not, so or the real ball or not. But um, I told him it was, so he's he's excited about it. Well, aside from the home run, John Chef at his root likes to play small ball, and I think over the last couple of years, Maryland as a as a team has kind of gotten away from that as more power has kind of come into the program, and guys, I would assume, are kind of campaigning to be able to swing away more and more. Are you a guy that ever has to campaign to play more small ball? Yeah, I mean, that's just part of my game. Like I said, it's always been part of my game as far as hit and run, steal, drag bunt, push bunt, soft push. I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, it's, it's something that people are getting away from now, I think, in, in a lot of programs just because guys are getting big and strong and they like to see the ball go out of the ballpark. And, you know, that's I think that's equally as important, but um, – for me in particular, like I said, I'm I'm never going up there trying to hit a home run. If it happens, it happens. I'm, if I'm swinging away, I'm just trying to hit the ball as hard as I can right back up the middle um, and then do my damage from there. But as far as small ball, ball, uh, small ball goes, I mean, it doesn't take long. I mean, if I'm playing an entire weekend, you'll definitely see either a drag bun, a push bun, a hit and run, a stolen base, um, like you saw a slash. I didn't think I was going to – I mean – I've never practiced. I mean, we barely even practice that, but it's something that we do once in a while. And I remember, I mean, he he gave that to me, and I was just like, all right, well, let's here it goes. And um, it's just something that I work on just as hard at every part of my game, and um, I kind of take pride in that. So, were you surprised at all when you got that sign to fake the bun and and slash it past the third baseman? I mean, it looked natural, but you said after the game you'd never done it in a game before. I was definitely surprised when I saw it, but at the same time, I was prepared enough to get it done, I felt, and I was pretty excited because I knew if I got it done, which I did, um, that it was going to be a pretty important part of the game. And, um, I mean, the third baseman, uh, clearly they had a scouting, a scouting port, and it was a bunt situation anyway, so the third baseman was, you know, right in my back pocket. So I knew that all I had to do um, was squarely and then just try and, chop something in the ground and, or, or hit something hard by him and I knew he probably wouldn't have had a shot at it. I'm just kind of thankful I got a good pitch to do it on. It was it was right where I needed it to be, thankfully. So, um, yeah, that was that was a good that was a good moment as well. Um, I was pretty happy about that. All right, I want to I want to settle a little bit of a not a debate but a question that that Matt and I have had for a while. And at least from my point of view, I'm pretty sure that you're the fastest guy on the team. But I know that Kango is pretty fast as well. So. Of the two of you, are you in fact faster? Uh, okay, so yes, I'm faster than Kango, but I'm not the fastest on the team. Yeah, believe it or not, uh, Madison Nickens is, is, uh, is he's got the the crown for that. We ran uh, six at the beginning of the year, and he ran a he ran it faster than me. What wow. was what was your time? He was uh, he ran in a six four, and I ran a six five. Something oh wow, like that. that's like a ten. That's a ten. And then, and then we ran the forties as well. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, it was a forty in the beginning of the year. That's right. It was a forty 
um, because we were inside because of the weather. And Maddie ran a four four something, four four eight or something like that. And I ran like uh, in the four fives. Um, he's a guy that takes really long strides and is very fast A to B. So yeah, he he definitely has that bragging right um, as far as on the on the stopwatch. Well, the other guy who takes really long strides, who I noticed last week was Anthony Papio, just cruising out in front. And he's more of a distance guy, I guess. But talk about your competitiveness with him in the uh, Iron Terp. Uh. Oh, I mean, it doesn't really get better than that. I mean, like I said, that's a guy that I've been working out with since the summer. Um, and he's kind of instilled some competitiveness in me as well. Um, and as far as the Iron Turk goes, like I told him right away, hey, like I'm I'm winning it this year. And it came to the point where we weren't very like we weren't friends for that week. He <laughs> he was you know he was not. We weren't going to get any like food or anything like that. Like it was strictly business, and it was almost like he was he wasn't even going to talk to me for that week. And that that was something I was like wow. And um, so I was I was winning the majority of it, and um, but like. I don't know. Something with Pat, it's like, Pat's going to die on that field unless he wins. And that's that's kind of what he did. I mean, I remember in the last event, I had to um, beat him, and it, it, it was a, one of the tougher events as far as, like, uh, we had to, like, do, like, a, um, a plate push 50 yards and then pull it 50 yards and then pick it up and do a bunch of stuff. And I just remember... I was, like, giving it everything I could, but, like, it was, like, he kept creeping up, he kept creeping up, he kept creeping up, and that, like, doubt just came to my mind a little bit more and more, and he did. I mean, he won the thing three times in a row. So, I mean, that's, it was a lot of fun, you know. If I'm going to get beat, I'm glad by that guy. But um, I can promise you I I won't lose the Iron Turf the rest of the time I'm here. <laughs> well, Pap graduating, or having graduated already, and his eligibility running out, so certainly a good shot for that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, before we let you go, we've been asking everyone this over the last several weeks with Major League Baseball just getting started. Who you got for your World Series winner? Oh, man. That's a tough one right now. But uh, I have to give it to you right now. You know, ever since I came to Maryland, I've, like, slowly but surely become more of an O's fan, like, as the day's going on. That's like mostly because of Justin Morris, he's I mean he's gotten me to some games and uh, as well as like Brian Schaefer and the guys that are real diehard as fans. So um, I love their lineup this year. Um, I think if they can pitch, they can make a run for it. And I would love to see I'd love to see them win it all. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with the O's. Already making the transition to the to the Baltimore sports. I know you're a big Philly yeah, guy. Sir. I know there's I know there was some uh, some contention on the team with the Caps and the Flyers. This uh, past week. Well, that's a different story. I, I won't be rooting <laughs> for the cast in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Zach. Thanks very much for for coming on the podcast tonight. Hope you had a good time. We enjoyed it as well. And uh, absolutely. We'll uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Zach. When we come back right, on the Maryland Baseball Podcast, we'll talk to third baseman Andrew Bechtold. So stick with us here on MBN. Hi, Terps fans. This is play-by-play broadcaster Jake Eisenberg. Here at the Maryland Baseball Network, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best and most dedicated coverage of your Terps baseball team. But in order to do so, we need your help. 
As we enter our second season, we're looking to raise money to continue to bring you the same high-quality broadcast and coverage for as many games as possible. Every dollar raised will go directly into Maryland Baseball Network funds and go toward equipment needs, website fees, and, most importantly, travel funds to allow us to bring you all of the Terps games home and away. To donate, head to GoFundMe.com slash MDBaseballNet. That's GoFundMe.com slash MDBaseballNet. No amount is too big or too small, and, as always, we thank you for and appreciate your support. Welcome back to the Maryland Baseball Podcast, episode 17 as we roll on. Thanks to Zach Jankarski for joining us. And now we go to the hot corner as Andrew Bechtold is on the line. How are you doing, Andrew? Good. How are you guys? Doing very well. All right, so last year as a freshman, you were playing a little first base after battling it out for shortstop, got injured. You know, what was it like to first battle it out for shortstop, then change position, and then have to watch your team play from the bench for your first season here? Um, yeah, it was a good experience, honestly. I mean, uh, me and Kevin, you know, we kind of battled it out all fall. And uh, to be honest, if you if you ask the coaches today, I mean, they really didn't know who was going to play shortstop until about a week before the season started because it was such a good competition between the two of us. And actually what happened was our, our current first baseman, uh, Matt Onifree, he went down with a with a shoulder injury in a uh, in a scooter accident, and that was the whole reason, honestly, that I that I did start playing first base because me and Kevin they didn't know what was going to go on, and we were like four or five days away from opening up at Coastal, and then he ended up getting hurt, and then a couple of days went by, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm not going to be ready to play in a week." And me and Kevin both took probably like close to 300 ground balls a day over there, wow. and it just ended up that it ended up that I was a little a little smoother over there, and they, they handed me a glove, and they were like, go get him, and first day I was in the starting lineup after playing maybe three three days there at first base and maybe one inner squad. Wow. And I started the first game of the year at first base. It's just, I don't know. <laughs> Not bad. Not easy. So yeah. I can't imagine it's easy to break in a first baseman's mitt on, on the dime like that. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I used – I took someone else's. I think I took uh, – Justin Morris had one from high school that was like, sitting in his garage, and I was like, dude, I need your brain to practice one day. Like, I don't have one. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> a question just, we should start asking people, like techniques of breaking gloves because yeah, like, there's the oil, a, there's the tie it up under your bed, I always went microwave, like so yeah. many different techniques. I heard coffee once, and that's, really? that's bizarre to me. Yeah, yeah. hot coffee. You, All should, right. you should ask guys, too, what, what, what they do like to pick different gloves. I know like some guys have like, like we were talking about it the other day on the bus, like what guys liking gloves and stuff like that. We talked to like, to Selmer and they're like bloom and they're like no you got to get like classic black or like classic like brown or something like that like old school and then like we turned around and like they were talking to like me and Smitty and Heisel and we were like no like we want something like flashier like something that people are like gonna notice kind of thing well you want to flash like, the leather <laughs> yeah it's kind of it's kind of interesting talking to talking to some of the guys about like why they pick the glove they do like I know uh Andrew Green is one guy, he's like, I get the same model glove every year. Like, I'll never change it. Like, this is just, this is what I do. And then there's other guys that are like, they're like, yeah, I want something different every year. Like, I don't want the same glove all the time. So it's, it's just, I know they do that in the big, so it's just, like, interesting. Because we were talking about it for, like, a good 30, 30, 40 minutes. Um, as far as my injury goes, I mean, it was, it was difficult. I mean, I knew last year was going to be a special year. Um, just with all our returning guys, all our older guys, all the experience, I knew that, you know, being one of two freshmen in the lineup – um, on an everyday basis is going to be something special with the lineup that we had. So it was unfortunate that I got hurt. Um, but at the same time, it was a good, good experience for me to get to really sit and watch those guys and, you know, see their daily preparation and stuff like that. And it really helped me 
adjust and prepare for this year, even just seeing, you know, some of the behind the scenes stuff with those guys. So it was tough, but at the same time, I think it was a good learning experience as well. So when, when you were watching, obviously there was kind of a roulette at first base last year. You know, Justin Morris got some starts there. Biondic was there towards the end of the year. But Jose Quas was a mainstay at third base. That's where you are now. Did you spend any time with Jose last year? Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of I kind of knew after, you know, the way. I mean, Smitty, you know, he had a great year last year. I mean, he was fresh and All-American. You know, he did everything, everything we could have expected from him. And so I kind of knew that. You know, I may be taking over at third base. I knew I had the arm. I played there in high school um, for summer ball and stuff like that. So I kind of knew that. Um, and honestly, I didn't spend too much time with Jose last year. But I know when Jose came back from uh, from pro ball this year, we you know he was taking ground balls both on a daily basis and stuff like that. And he was helping me a lot with my footwork and just little things that necessarily I didn't know that could help me out because I've been playing sports all my life. So little tips and stuff like that just to help me adapt to third base. But he said it too. He said, you know, he thinks I'm better suited for third. He thinks I have the arm strength that I can really show off in that position. He said he thinks that, you know, that's actually going to work out for me better in the end because he, he just saw me as, as a third base kind of guy from the get-go. So that was that was encouraging to hear and, and to know. And he's always he's always there for me if I need something or if I'm, you know, confused about something over there. He's always he's always just a phone call away to, to figure some of that stuff out. So he's he's been great. What do you think it means for this team defensively to have two shortstops, if you will, on the left side of the infield in terms of range? Um, I think, honestly, I think our defense, especially our infield, is probably probably tops as one of one of any in the country, to be honest with you. I mean, I mean, beyond Dick over at first base is an, is an absolute vacuum over there. And I know if you talk to any of the infielders, we have absolute faith in that guy whenever we, even if we make a bad throw or, you know, Something happens. We know Bionic's going to handle it. He's a he's a very vocal guy, and then I think Nick Dunn as well has done a phenomenal job at second base, stepping in as a freshman. And you know he he honestly, and when he came in in the fall, he wasn't he was a good defender, and I would say he was he was an average defender. But I think you know this spring he really took his game to the next level on his his double play turns and you know getting rid of the ball and stuff like that. And then as far as me and Kevin go, I know I mean we both struggled a little bit at the beginning of the year. I think it was. We were trying to do too much. We were trying to make plays like out of our comfort zone and stuff like that. But um, as of late, I think we've been rock solid and we've been more of what what people expect. I mean, especially if you talk to like Coach Jeff. I mean, I think defensively we can match up with any team, any team in the country. So let's let's switch gears from defense to offense. Over the summer, playing for the Bethesda Big Train, kind of your first opportunity coming off that thumb injury to get at bats and regular playing time, and yet a pretty successful summer with them reaching base. You know, 23 times over 19 games. What what were you kind of working on with Bethesda? Were you kind of working in at third base, or were you elsewhere? Um, yeah, I did. I did a little bit of both. Um, the coaches over there were were great about you know knowing I was coming off my injury and if I ever needed like you know, time off or something or I was feeling sore or something like that. They were great about, you know, kind of helping me with that transition back into the game. And, um, I mean, I played, I started off playing shortstop, just, you know, getting my feet wet again, getting back used to playing. And then as I got more and more comfortable with, you know, the speed of the game and stuff like that, they threw me over at third. So at the beginning of the season, I started most of my time at short. And then by the end of the season, I was pretty much playing third on an everyday basis. And that was one of my first experiences playing third every day and getting used to that and stuff like that. And I think that summer ball really helped me with that transition coming into the fall, and it really just you know prepared me for for what was to come. 
and at the plate, at least at the beginning of the season, you know, in the in the media guide and game notes, you're listed as a switch hitter. And we we mm-hmm. talked about this a little bit in Delaware, but I know that you were switch hitting a little bit over the summer and in the fall as well. You know, what's kind of been, I guess, the strategy behind that? I know that the coaches have you batting strictly from the right side now, but is maybe left-handed hitting something we'll see in the future? Um, yeah, actually, I mean, in high school um, – when I was going through, you know, the whole process of the draft and, and stuff like that, I was I would hit left-handed for almost everybody that came to watch me play. I'd hit left-handed games. I hit left-handed my junior and senior year of high school, and it was just something that that kind of came natural to me. I mean, it's something I always I always credit it to, you know, playing wiffle ball in the backyard with my brother. We'd always joke around because I could hit the ball further than him because I was older than him. That I would have to hit left-handed when we played. And then it ended up getting to the point where I was hitting the ball further left-handed than I was right-handed, so then we, we stopped playing wiffle ball in the backyard pretty much. So um, it was just one of those things, you know, I've always felt comfortable with it. I always feel like I honestly see the ball a little bit better on the left side. Um, and then, like, coming off the hand injury this summer, you know, I swung it left-handed um, all summer. I did okay. I was I was feeling it out and stuff like that. And then in the fall, you know, I just I struggled to get it going. I struggled to uh, – to do to produce at the level I wanted to produce at, pretty much. So then, you know, I sat down with uh, with Coach Vaughn and we said, hey, you know, like we think that this year, you know, the thing to do is to hit right-handed, be a big impact in the lineup, kind of thing. But I mean, if you think if I think you talk to him too, he I mean he doesn't think that switch things are the option. He doesn't. We both don't know if it'll be next year or if it'll be a couple of years down the road. I mean, it's just it's just one of those things I always have in my back pocket that that I'm not going to give up on because I you know I feel like there could be something there with that. So it's still something you're working on in practice and stuff? Um, not not currently, not in season. But, um, I mean, it's still something, like, I'll joke around with from time to time. If, you know, I'm taking BP or, like, I'm frustrated about something, I'll be like, you know, I'm going to go take some left-handed swings, you know, get my mind off it. Because I really don't think when I when I hit left-handed. I, I, I see the ball and I take some swings and I get back right-handed and I'm like, okay, now I'm locked in. I feel, I feel better about what I'm doing kind of thing. So it's just it's one of those things I'm not, you know, working on it religiously right now in season. I'm just worried about, you know, winning games, hitting right-handed, and doing what I have to do to help the team win. But, I mean, who knows with, like, summer when I have time off at home and stuff like that, I'll, I'll probably start joking around with a little more work on it, see if, you know, if there's not something there. You mentioned working on it in preparation for the draft. You went in the 37th round in 2014 to the Rangers. Was there ever consideration of going pro at that point, or were you pretty set on coming to Maryland? Um, I was pretty set on uh, on coming here. I mean, I love the coaching staff. I knew that that this is what I wanted to be. I chose Maryland because I wanted the big big college campus life. I wanted the full experience of college, and I knew that what we had here was special. I knew a bunch of the guys coming in. I knew that you know college was something I wanted to do, and I felt like my my whole mind had been made up that that this is what I wanted to do. This is where I wanted to be, and you know, I, I like if that comes along later in life and stuff like that's awesome that's great but you know I wanted to I wanted to be a kid I wanted to come to college I wanted to make friends I wanted to you know I wanted to just live out that experience that you know kids die to do and and, uh are fighting for all the time to to get that chance so I mean I'm I'm still today I'm very happy with my decision to go to school here I mean I love playing for the coaches I love you know the guys on my team I wouldn't trade them for anything so I think I did did what was best for me and did what was right and I'm perfectly happy with what I did uh, another question for you. I know your dad, Scott, played football at Syracuse and baseball at Delaware, so you got some athletic blood in you to begin with. But when you go and play Delaware, you know, as Maryland does so often and did twice this year, is there kind of a little bit 
of extra kind of I don't know feeling behind that one. Um, not, not so much, not as much as you know, I think people would people would assume. But I mean, when I was a little kid, my dad used to you know take me up to the Delaware games. I mean, I've met um, you know a bunch of his former uh, teammates and stuff like that. So Delaware's always been like a school that's you know it's close to me. It's I have a bunch of buddies that go there. It's always you know it's always a place that's close to home. But I don't think necessarily there's that like rivalry or that like grit for me to want to you know beat them extra that day or you know get extra hits that day or anything like that it's not that kind of kind of relationship with that school it's just like you know this is where my dad went this is you know someplace that's close to my home you know i love playing there because all my friends and family come it's a close drive and stuff like that so i wouldn't say necessarily it's like a rivalry but i definitely feel at home um playing down there and stuff like that it's only like a 30 minute drive for my friends and family and stuff like that so that's that's pretty close to what i what i would call home yeah. I'm looking at your bio on the website, and it says mm-hmm. that you would cast Channing Tatum to play yourself in a movie of your life. Yeah, I don't. I honestly don't know who came up with that, but I I never put that. <laughs> <laughs> Cop so I'm out. Wondering, I'm wondering which I'm wondering which ex player that's probably gone now decided to that I was the one they were going to pull the joke on well, for that one. So <laughs> it'd have to be. I mean, it's it's Taylor's the one who writes those things. Yeah, we'll have to ask. So we'll have to ask Taylor. But number five was wasn't wasn't Brandon Lau number five? Yeah, yeah Brandon Lau was number five. So I was maybe thinking, I was thinking. I mean, probably, I can't imagine he would say Channing Tatum. There's not really. Yeah, no, I was thinking. It, I was thinking it had to be like Kevin Martier or one of those guys <laughs> because because I remember I, I handed in the we had to fill out that sheet and I handed it in and I, I was like casting a movie. I don't know who put for this. Like I have no idea. And I remember I handed it in. And then like a couple of weeks later, I read the bio, and I was like, Channing Tatum. Did you leave it blank? Yeah, I left Maybe it blank. Maybe Taylor just like, filled it in for you. I was like, I was like, I left this blank. I wonder who, who filled it in. But then I realized there's a stack of sheets in the locker We put our stack of sheets in the locker room in like a vanilla <laughs> folder. And I was like, I was like, someone definitely wrote something in there. Because I was like, I, I swear I left that blank. <laughs> that we'll, we'll, have, I mean, we'll have to ask we'll, we'll get to the bottom of this for you. Yeah, it was funny. One more question before we let you go, and we've been asking everyone this over the last several weeks with the uh, Major League Baseball season getting underway. Who you got for your World Series winner? Oh, jeez. I don't know. I kind of I like the Astros, honestly. I, mean, I think they're struggling a little bit now, but I just think I think the Astros with Correa and Altuve, I think, I think they can get something going there, Dallas Keuchel. But then I have to go with uh, – I think if I had to pick one, I'd go with the Chicago Cubs, uh, Mr. – Mr. Kevin Biondic's diehard team. I think with all the young stars they got going, I just don't know who's going to beat them. Especially with Jake Arrieta and Chris Bryant, I just I don't see who's going to who's going to run in their way. Well, I, I've got the Mets personally. Obviously, maybe a bit of a hometown <laughs> pick. And, yeah. uh, Matt took the Giants because it's an even year. So <laughs> yeah, see what we'll it's see. It's really toss up. I mean, it really depends on what what ends up happening in the end. It's it's awesome to have so much parity on the table where you can pick from. 10 different teams or so at the beginning of the year and make a case for all of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with with uh, Syndergaard going out every night and throwing 100, I mean, I also don't know if the Mighty Cubs can hit that. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It'll be a good postseason this year. Well, they couldn't last year in the uh, National League Championship Series. But in any case, a lot of guys have been picking the hometown Orioles, so it's it's refreshing to have you yeah. know a different, a different option out there from you, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Anyway, thanks thanks for coming on the podcast tonight. Really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, when we come back on the Maryland Baseball Podcast, we'll take a look forward into this week when the Terps travel to Penn State next weekend. So stick with us here on the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Like what you hear? Think we can do better? Feel free to reach out. Email us at MarylandBaseballNetwork at gmail.com with any recommendations you have as to how we can make our broadcast and website better. All feedback is welcomed. Again, that's MarylandBaseballNetwork at gmail.com. Welcome back to the 17th episode of the Maryland Baseball Podcast. Jake Eisenberg and Matt Present here. Thanks to Zach Jankarski and Andrew Bechtold for stopping by the podcast this evening. And now we turn our attention to this upcoming weekend. Obviously, the Terps playing James Madison in the midweek. But looking forward to the next Big Ten series, going to University Park to face the Nittany Lions this Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Matt, you're going to head up there with the team this weekend. And it's safe to say this is you know yet another conference crucial series. It is. And you know in contrast to Purdue who was the last place team in the Big Ten, the Nittany Lions, a few games ahead of the Terps, right in the middle of the pack. As we said earlier, eight teams make the tournament. Penn State right in the middle of the pack. The Terps at seventh, I think, out of eighth right now uh, after taking two of three from the Boilermakers. So a very big series playing a team a little bit better than them. Uh, Penn State 9-6 and six in conference, 24-17 and 17 overall. So, yeah, certainly a little bit ahead of the Terps to begin with. And, Coming off of a little bit of a shaky series in, in New Brunswick, lost two out of three to Rutgers, a, a team that you know is not up there in the top of the Big Ten Conference. Got shut out on Friday, five to nothing. Lost six to four Saturday. Came back on Sunday and won seven to five. They'll play a midweek game on Wednesday at home against Kent State, and then the Terps will, will come to town. But taking a look at things, I think when you talk about Penn State, the first thing you see is Jack Anderson. Yeah, he's their closer. He's a guy who gets six, six outs pretty much every time he pitches. He's pitched uh, 22 uh, times this year, all in all all lead, 41 in the third innings, uh, the best ERA in the nation, 6-5, and he and just, just this weekend set a school record, record with 10 saves in a season. Or the, the 10 saves, rather, qualified for the all-time school record in that state. Well, we, we certainly know the benefits of what a good closer can do, Kevin Mooney being here and setting the all-time saves record last year, but this guy, Jack Anderson, 4-1 record as well, a .65 ERA that leads the entire nation, mind you, in ERA as a closer, which is not an easy thing to do in college baseball, especially with the innings qualification standards, but Anderson throwing more innings than some starting pitchers have this season at 41 and a third, and by all means qualifying for that you know, potential award of leading the league in ERA. He's allowed just three earned runs all season, nine runs total, so you know, there's been a little bit some shaky defense behind him. But, I mean, you you were telling me, you know, the other day or earlier about, you know, Penn State and their, their tendency to win late in ballgames. Yeah, when Penn State's leading after seven, they're 20-0. and 0. And conversely, 0-16 when trailing after seven. So Maryland has to get out to an early lead. They don't want to see Jack Anderson, especially in a safe situation, because the game is all but over at that point. They really need to get on the scoreboard early. Penn State offensively, not a huge threat. They bat uh, 269 as a team, but not a real power-hitting team. No one has more than three home runs on their roster. It's really just about you know taking advantage early in the game and getting a lead and not squandering it late. 
Well, the Terps at times have gotten off to slow starts at the plate, and at other times, you know, they've gotten right out there in front. You know, the five-run spot on Sunday, evidence of that. They've had, you know, eight-run innings, six-run innings. You know, the offense has been there. Whether or not it can be there against Penn State, you know, we'll see this weekend. But, you know, last year when the Terps played Illinois, you know, the Big Ten tournament, you know, it was, you know, Tyler J was looming in the bullpen. Jay, of course, was taken early on in the 2015 MLB draft. And, you know, he never pitched. He didn't pitch in the game because Maryland was out in front, you know, 2-1 to one for most of the game. And then it got to the late goings and the, the Illini were still behind. So rather than throw out Jay and, you know, in the losing ball game, you know, the you know, they, they elected to not pitch him. The Terps, you know, avoided facing him. So, you know, if Maryland can get out in front early going, as you said, Matt, you know, we could maybe see the Terps trying to avoid seeing Anderson completely in this series. Yeah, and the Terps have been prone to the beginning this year. They they really have done a good job when they get a few runs across to really blow things open. They had two more five-run innings on Sunday, and they just kept getting on base up and down the lineup on Saturday and Sunday. It wasn't just one or two guys. Uh, Purdue had a guy on Sunday hit three doubles on Saturday. They had a guy that accounted for three of their four base runners. For Maryland, it's been up and down the lineup the last couple games, and hopefully that really continues because contagious hitting is just so dangerous. Well, speaking of hitting, you know, taking a look at Penn State's lineup, you mentioned, you know, their batting average, you know, around, you know, 269, you know, a pretty decent number, you know, when you look at the team overall, especially when you factor in guys that, you know, haven't had as many at-bats and whose batting averages are a bit lower. But this is a Penn State team that they're not going to hit a lot of home runs, just 12 home runs on the year. But this is a team... I would say much like the high point team that Maryland saw earlier this season is a team that's going to get on base at a decent clip. They're on base percentage up at 364. They're going to steal a ton of bases, 58 stolen bases and 78 attempts for this Nittany Lions team, and they're going to manufacture their own runs. You know, it's going to come from, you know, all sorts of places. There's two guys with double-digit steals on their team, and I think it's going to be up to the Maryland pitchers, especially, I think, you know, we'll have to see whether or not this will be a struggle for Mike Shawarn, you know, when runners are on base, keeping them, you know, from taking the extra base, holding them. And I think if the Terps are going to win this coming weekend, they'll have to avoid, as Chef always says, you have to avoid the big inning. I think if Penn State gets momentum going and starts a merry-go-round, it, it can get ugly pretty quickly. To your point about creating runs, 26 sacrifice flies, 30 sacrifice hits already this season for the Nittany Lions. And a question I want to pose off of that, you know, you talk about the fact that they steal bases, they get in scoring position, and they generate runs in a small small ball fashion. We talked to Zach Jankarski. We mentioned that this weekend, Chef and company mixed things up. Does Justin Morris go back behind the plate against a team that likes to steal, or does Maryland stick with the hot hand, if you will, 8-2 and two when Jankarski starts? Well, I think for one thing, if you have Jankarski playing the field in center, you know, you have so much range out there and speed, and, you you know, you kind of add a plus to the defense. But, of course, you do the same thing when you add Justin Morris behind the dish. You know, he throws out runners, you know, at a, at a much better rate than Nick Sieri has this season. Of course, Sieri has thrown out his fair share, but Morris certainly more of a threat to do so. I think at this point, you know, to our conversation a little bit earlier when we talk about Maryland having to get out in front of a lead early, I think the onus has to be on offense. And when it comes to that, you look for the guy who's going to be able to create runs for you. And right now, that's Jankarski, not necessarily Morris. So I think that, you know, should 
Maryland continue to win, you know, as they have with this lineup the past couple days, I think you'll see Jankarski in the lineup a lot more regularly than he was earlier this season. Well, we will see. First things first is tomorrow when the Terps travel on the road to play James Madison in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Game time at 6 p.m. on the Maryland Baseball Network. Jake Eisenberg will have the pregame show for you at 545. And then I'll be up at Penn State, like Jake said, next weekend. A 6.30 p.m. start on Friday, a 3 p.m. start on Saturday, and on getaway day Sunday afternoon at 1 p.m. So thanks for listening to the 17th episode of the Maryland Baseball Podcast. A thanks to Zach Jankarski and Andrew Bechtold for joining us. And until next week, for Jake Eisenberg, I'm Matt Present. Thanks for listening on the Maryland Baseball Network.